Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. Kelly Tollefson joins us today. She's a past president of the National Association of Residential Property Managers. She's also been in the business for 27 years. She's the owner of T-Squared Properties and sought after speaker in the industry. In this episode, she talks about how to find the right niche that works for you. She gave insight on how to become an effective property manager and why you should take a risk as an entrepreneur. Additionally, there's a little discussion as to why syndication is a good investment. Well, let's get to it. All right. Well, thanks for coming out today, Kelly. So we got Kelly Tollefson with T-Square Properties. She's out of Seattle, Washington, and you've got some great things to tell us today. Kelly, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? All right. Well, thanks, AJ and Chris. It's really exciting to be here. The first uh, recording for 2021. Pretty exciting. Lots of new things on the horizon, we hope, right? So I've been in the business for over 27 years. Started out kind of buying and selling our own investment properties and thought, well, boy, we, we bought them to flip them and then thought, well, they're not flipping as fast as we thought, so we better figure out how to manage them as, you know, as a landlord. And then kind of just got into managing for friends and family once, you know, a neighbor came over and said, hey, can you manage my properties? I'm moving out of the area. And we did and kind of built it from there. I remember one of my first industry events that I attended was 2005. And I think we were managing 35 doors. And now we manage uh, about 560. And we manage almost 95, I think close to 95 homeowner associations in our company. So yeah, we've really grown in the last 15, 16 years. And, you know, it's been, it's been a wild ride. And every day is exciting and fun. And you learn something new. And some days you wake up and go, gosh, I don't want to be a property manager anymore. And other days you're, you know, you're just getting at it, right? Awesome. So, yeah. Well, uh, tell us, how, what, what kind of made you get into real estate? Like, why, why did you start buying those properties? Yeah, interesting question. So <laughs> we used to say, and it's probably still true, you know, as you're young and building, trying to build your wealth and so on, the first most popular thing and the easiest thing to get into is the stock market. And so we, we did a little bit of that. And we used to say, if you want to lose money, buy the stocks we buy. And that's all you have to do. (laughs) If you want to make money, don't buy what we're buying. So then, you know, my husband, Tom, and I own and operate T-Square Properties together. And he always had a a kind of a, I don't know, propensity to or an interest in real estate. And so he, he, and as, as you guys may know, through all of your experience in real estate and working with investors, the general flavor is nobody wants to pay full price for anything. Oh, in, no. You make, in, you make money on a buy for sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want it. So what Tom discovered was, and this is, again, it, I think the timing for this was just pretty good, is that we could buy HUD foreclosures, you know, 85 to 90% of market value. They, had, they would put them on the market at a price, and then we would bid below that. And we would try to find that sweet spot where that bid would get accepted. And this was all back when you had to mail in your bids and they had to take two days to review it and all that stuff. This was before the internet was what it is today. (laughs) So we would, you know, eventually we got awarded these properties. And so they were becoming, it was becoming quite a little 
bit of a nice little side business. Tom was working the corporate world. I was at home raising the kids, but it was a great opportunity when we picked up a little bit, you know, a condo, a two bedroom condo where I could go in and work with a carpet layer and work with a painter and just manage that little spot. And then we put it on the market to sell. And if it didn't sell within a certain amount of time, we just start looking for its tenant. And when we were doing it ourselves, we could simultaneously advertise it for rent and for sale, knowing what transaction was coming first and remove the other listing. So this just kind of got to be a little bit of a, of a routine for us. And we were able to build our own portfolio, you know, probably within about three years, we bought and sold maybe 30, 30 units, three or four years. And then, like I said, a neighbor came over and said, Hey, can you manage my stuff? You guys do some of that, don't you? And it just built from there, neighbors and friends and family and, so yeah, that's kind of how we got started. It became that's a, something that's valuable. That's an awesome little niche, like the HUD foreclosures. So you kind of found this like specific little thing and then yeah. you're like, I know I can make money there. And then you just like churn that. Yeah. And right at the time, the timing of how lending was going and the foreclosures that were happening at the time, there was a lot of inventory. There isn't so much now because the lending is tightened up. You know, anybody in their pet duck can get a loan prior to that. And so when those, you know, VA loans or whatever the FHA, the HUD foreclosures were happening, there was, there was ample of them and there isn't, there's just not the same now. So they're few and far between just depending on the, the economic cycle. That's great. It sounds like you and Tom have a wonderful partnership. Out of curiosity, like what were you guys doing before that allowed you to like get into real estate or start buying? Like financially? Sure. Like, were you guys working at another job? Corporate like, world, yeah. Out of college yeah, and just so, like um, right yeah. into real estate? No, like, so, <laughs> we were, so we were working in the corporate world. Tom's much more fiscally or had been much more fiscally responsible than I was <laughs> at the time. And you I was more, more... You had more fun is what you're saying. I, well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so what really, where our seed money really came from in this and... And we had saved and scrimped and we had bought our own house in Southern California after, right after we got married. But it was a combination of my grandparents passing on, got a little bit of a nest egg. And that's really, you know, the bottom line seed money from T-Square Properties was my grandparents' legacy. My brother and I inherited just a, a little bit of money and we, that's the first purchase we got. And then what we would do is eventually we learned if you could create enough equity and pay cash you had so much less expense. So you didn't have to buy title insurance. You didn't have to get mortgage insurance. So many fees go with a non-cash deal. And that's why we were buying little one bedroom condos, right? Is because yeah. they were under a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And you could at the time, and you know, now you, you'd have to be in different markets to find that kind of purchase. But we eventually got to the point where we had turned so many properties and earned enough equity that we could pay cash and then it would just turn faster and then the cash just built from there. So, so we were, we started out in the corporate world and built our, our nest egg that way. And then this little bit of seed money really helped us get over the hump as far as being able to make an economical purchase without all the fees and financing that goes with it. Nice, nice. Chris, you, yeah. you love digging into the family stuff. Do you want to ask some questions, some more questions about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I want to just touch on, you know, a lot of our listeners are, you know, kind of at that stage where they're really wondering, like, how do I get started? And, you know, 
you mentioned and you touched on the stock market and then as well, you know, you touched on, you guys started a side hustle and that side hustle was real estate. Yeah. And you found yourself a fantastic niche. And then as well, you found a great way to do value add investing. Right. And you were fortunate with that nest egg that you received. But, you know, everybody has a little bit of an advantage, you know, whether it's they have a lot of time where they can put in maybe some of that labor or you, I mean, you guys had kids and yeah. like a lot of requirements or duties at home. So you weren't able to swing that hammer, but you know, everybody has a little bit of an advantage. You guys received that nest egg. And so that's what kickstarted your value add investing, which is, yeah. which is just incredible. I love your story. Like AJ and my story is very, very similar. So that really intrigues me. I am super interested to learn about, you know, kind of like how you grew up and, you know, kind of the, the values that you had when you were growing up and, you know, where where you and Tom learned, you know, the things that you're teaching your kids now to save money and right. invest. Yeah. You know, I look back at, you know, the family values that we both bring into not just our business, but into being married to your business partner. It can be, well, and you guys are brothers and your business partners. It can be difficult. The interesting thing is you can't really divorce your brother. So you're always stuck with it. You kind of got to work through it. Not that oh, it's ever a concept, but, you know, marriage is a choice every day. And so it's a business relationship. But the family values, interestingly, I grew up in a middle-class family in the Bay Area of San Francisco, and everything was great until in 1974, my father passed away. And so at that point, I think I, I became more of someone who didn't take risks because bad things can happen. And lot, you know, you have a sense of, and this is, you know, I was 12 when he died. So this is many, 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 many years later that I've discovered so many things about how I live my life and the choices I make. Whereas I think for Tom and, and so for me, the relationships that I build are way, way are very more important maybe than other people might find relationship building to be not that Tom doesn't value them, but it's not necessarily in the forefront of his thoughts where it is for me. So the two of us blended together work really well because he's got that more of a business sense than I do. And I've got more of that, personal sense or relationship sense. Not that the two can't blend in a business, but I think there needs to be boundaries for each, right? So as far as taking the risks financially that we've taken in, and the nest egg was great. I have been known to change out a few faucets and garbage disposals and paint a unit myself and all that stuff. I always made it fun. I always, there was a girlfriend that I used to hang out with. She has since passed away from breast cancer, but we used to get our kids off to school, pack our little lunch boxes and go to our little property and we'd paint it together, listening to our music. And so we put a little sweat sweat (laughs) equity in there. But on a side note, I think, you know, you just have to set your priorities and say, okay, what's my long term and what's my short term? If it's saving money now for a future benefit, right? And we did, we saved a lot of money to make it happen and to build a lifestyle that we eventually would come to. And I think we've, we've instilled that in our kids as they've gotten older. I've got a, a 28-year-old, a 27-year-old, and a 24-year-old. And I think when they were younger, they probably didn't get it, but they probably get it a little bit more now. 
our daughter Julie owns a house in Boise that she bought as an investment property. And so she's a chip off of her dad's shoulder there and getting in early and, and young and saving money. And the other two, my two boys are, are learning that and getting there. But I think the, one of the things that my kids say kind of not outwardly, but is the work ethic that both Tom and I have. They don't, you know, yeah. say mom and dad for the work ethic that you demonstrated, but <laughs> you, know, you can see they're appreciative of learning it. And I think that's a big part of it too. When you say there's an edge, everybody has an advantage. Sometimes it's just the work ethic. If you just work hard and make the right choices, things will come around and you're persistent. Yeah. So. Well, and one of the things you touched on as well is kind of the short term or the long term. And we, we kind of call that the why, you know, why would you work hard? Why would you make a sacrifice now so that your future can be better? And mm-hmm. it's different for every person. And so really digging in deep and, and figuring out why you're making these decisions that aren't normal. You know, most people don't decide to forego like really fun things or spending money to have something else in the future. So you, right. you really have to have a good reason. And for AJ and I, it's just the freedom, you know, being able to choose what we do when we want. And, you know, a lot of the times we're choosing to chase after an investment opportunity or, or maybe we're traveling internationally. And right. like, that's really like, something that a new investor has to figure out is why would you go down this path? Why would you take this journey? And, you know, it sounds like you've kind of passed on that why a little bit to your kids and that's why they work hard is because they have, you know, similar like vision to yours, which is really cool. And Or or just the, the method to get to their vision, right? The method of why and, You know, as a new, as someone, if you know, talking to your audience of investors, I think about our clients that have investment properties and their why I think is different for everybody. Sometimes it's to secure and accumulate wealth. Sometimes it's just to preserve wealth or maybe to preserve a property that means something to them, but they can't live in it right now. So they want to keep it but they don't necessarily, they can't necessarily live in it. So the why, I think the why is really important on anything we do. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it's extremely important. Well, AJ, you've spent so much time in NARPM and, and you too, Kelly. So AJ, do you like, do you want to share a little bit about NARPM? And I, I'd love to hear how NARPM has affected both of your guys' careers and lives. Yeah. So I think Kelly, it would be great if you're more familiar than NARPM than I am. I'm, I'm very familiar, but you definitely have been in it a long, long time. And you're just coming off the national presidency. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I just finished being the pandemic president for NARPM. (laughs) Congratulations. What a wild ride. It was pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, NARPM is the National Association of Residential Property Managers. And how it's different from IRAM or the NAA is that we, and I say we meaning NARPM, the organization, really focuses on education, networking, and just kind of being a better residential property manager. And when I say residential, I mean more of the single family homes is where it kind of focuses, where the organization focuses. It's one of the only organizations that provides what I think is outstanding education 
for someone that is managing single family homes, a third party manager for single family homes. And if, if your investors are ever looking for a manager to manage their portfolio or their asset, I would strongly encourage them going to somebody that has been involved in NARPM or a member of NARPM and taken the education and maybe gotten them one or two of the credentials. You know, a high standard of ethical conduct within the organization. And I think, AJ, I don't know if you agree or not, but for me, the greatest thing about NARPM are the friends I've met. You know, oh, yeah. just the people, the people that are in my tribe that know my plight and know my journey and can relate to what I do is, it's like nothing else. It, oh, no, it's, it's wonderful. I'm, uh, I think yeah. in a couple of weeks, I'm going down to Denver to uh, go see Liz and go skiing and snowboarding. So. Oh, right. nice. And Liz is our new president-elect. Yeah. Yeah, the relationships are, are absolutely amazing. AJ, do so, you want to touch on the mastermind group that we're in a little bit and how that kind of evolved out of, you know, broker owner in 2018? What, what an incredible event. Yeah. So, I mean, I started out in like the local chapter, worked my way up through president. And then we came to broker owner, I think in 2018. And it was mm -hmm. my brother's first event, like national event at NARPM. And we came away, there was a seminar on the mastermind. Which yeah, I remember that. Yeah. An amazing concept. And my brother is very forward. He just got up on the mic and was like, hey, we're starting a mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> Come, come and just like, come join us. So, but we, we've actually, we started that and we've got 10 other property managers in it and we meet monthly and it's been a, a huge asset. I mean, along with NARPM, when I, I would say like two, two to three years ago, like the education that NARPM provided us has really propelled our business and made right. us become more professional, more educated, provided wonderful resources. And of course you touched on like the wonderful relationships. Like whenever there's a problem, we can just reach out and there's, there's something there. But oh gosh, AJ. And you know, as well, just the quality of people. That's, I have a like, funny story about that, Chris. So my, I mentioned first NARPM event that our first professional industry event was a NARPM conference and it was in 2005. And Tom and I met working for Ford Motor Company in the Lincoln Mercury division in sales and marketing. So we had spent, you know, we were swapping cars to dealerships, right? And we had spent a lot of time in car dealerships. And we thought for sure this NARPM event, and no offense to anybody that sells used cars, because back in the day, used car salesmen were not what they are today. We thought it was going to be a group of people that just weren't very professional and we got there and were blown away at the level of professionalism and the quality of the people. And I've been hooked ever since, ever since that event. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just hearing stories from the, the guys and the gals in our mastermind group, like, you know, one of them is on the board of the players championship PGA tour event. And wow. like, you know, one of them, I think their family has built over a thousand homes and it's just like, there's, you know, and these are just kind of random by chance. They wanted to join our mastermind. It's not like yeah. we screened everyone and only yeah. accepted the best applicants. Like that's, that is the average level of people in this organization. And yeah. it's so cool. And yeah. Kelly, to kind of continue this conversation, is there like an uh, inflection point or anything with NARPM that you felt like it really affected your guys' business or 
was able to like really propel you guys? Oh my gosh. Um, like steady increase. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the public's perception of you as a professional. I think probably getting an RMP, the residential management professional designation expresses to those outside of your, your organization, the commitment that you have to the industry. So for us, it was, it's promoting the education among our team. Credentials are, are important for me, as far as NARPM goes, it was, Things like getting new ideas, new ways of doing things, better ways of doing things. NARPM has this great discussion group and you can say, hey, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, Z. Has anybody done this before? And you just get this onslaught of data and information and feedback. And then it just you just take that and propel your business to the next level just based on the information and conversations with people that are so willing to share their experience. So I think I don't know if that answered your question, AJ, but, you know, implementing new systems, implementing new ideas, being open to all of that and seeing that for me, like I mentioned in my early life, taking risks was not in my agenda. It was like, I just need to get through this and, and function and know that I'm going to be okay. So getting into NARPA was like, oh, look, look what they're doing over there. Maybe I could try that. You know, maybe we should try that. Maybe we should grow here or I can try this and just taking those little steps that NARPM kind of gives you a safe environment to do that. So, yeah. That's so funny because like the perception of a property manager is that it is, you know, a very safe profession. There's very little risk involved. And like what I found is the more property management I do, the more investor investment opportunities that I see and want to to move on and like yeah I don't know if that's a unique standpoint but I mean it's sounding like to you that it, it helped you grow out of that like needing things to be safe phase yeah taking yeah. you know some some calculated uh, risks and moving on some opportunities which yeah. is really cool yeah, I think it might be a little bit of that law of attraction where, you know, you're open to something and so you all of a sudden start seeing it and it starts coming to you. Yeah. The other yeah. thing is, you know, you buy a blue car and all of a sudden all you see are blue cars on the road. So <laughs> you buy your first investment property, right? You go, wait, there's all these investment properties out here. What is there? There's so much to do, right? Yeah. I think that's so. called, a, isn't it a confirmation bias? Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like once you once you like are start looking at something like oh man it's it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so Kelly, I've got a, a question. I feel like there's going to be a lot of people from NARPM listening. What do you think the first step is to be, like from becoming a property manager to moving towards being an investor? And I want to say that there's a large portion of NARPA members that aren't investing. And untapped, that's and, untapped opportunities. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So like, what do you think it is? Because I just really feel like there's, there are so many uncovered opportunities, you know, in the room, like at broker owner, like just 1% of those opportunities would be hundreds or thousands yeah. of deals. I think there's a couple things. I think number one is to research your market because something could be really shiny on the outside and then you dig down deep and it's just not very good at all. So, so researching the marketplace because, you know, people talk about, oh, the Seattle market or the Boise market or, you know, whatever in the Northwest or whatever markets are in your area. But opening 
opening other opportunities to seek those markets that are stable or maybe not quite reached the peak and those areas. So, so I would say doing the research would be the first thing that I would do or I would recommend. And then keep your ears open and listening. Like you said, at Broker Owner, you just realize, oh my gosh, look at all the opportunity. The other thing I would say is be patient. The real estate market's not going anywhere. They're just, it's not going anywhere. And a lot of times I think there's investors that they get excited about an opportunity and so they only see what they want to see and they're not patient enough maybe to sit back and wait and see. I think that's one of Tom's greatest assets is he's patient enough to wait for the right deal to come along and not just the best deal or the shiniest one or whatever. It needs to be the right deal for you or the right transaction or the right environment financially or, or whatever. So the patience I think is something that I would recommend be looking for it, but be patient in waiting for it. That's great advice. I hope my brother hears that really well. <laughs> we, we literally like just looked at a deal in Vancouver the other day and I'm like, Chris, we, we've never bought in Vancouver. We're not supposed to go up there. Like, You're supposed to research the market like, first. Yeah. We need to find something where we, we know like that really good intricate submarket. So. Yeah. And that's really important. That intricate submarket is great. You know, being in the Northwest, we get a lot of investors up in, in the Seattle area, especially from out of the country, out of the area. And what they don't may not be familiar with is perhaps the Seattle landlord tenant law that creates obstacles sometimes. So mm-hmm. it just depends. And it, again, it gets back to your why. Are you looking for a long-term investment as the value of the real estate? Or are you looking for a cash flow? Or are you looking for a quick turn? What are you looking for? And what's your why? And then I think evaluating that with patients can make for a sweet spot of investing. Wonderful. I love that. That's really, really good advice. I feel like we've got a ton of good stuff here. Should we move on to our last four questions? Uh, yeah, we can, we can do that. Okay. Fire them at me here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? You can't really say all the advice that you've given to your 20-year-olds. I can't. Okay. Yeah. So my 25 year old self was very not serious about life. I realized again, having had my, what I didn't share with you is the year after my father died, I had a sister that died suddenly. My father had cancer and then my sister passed away a year later from an aneurysm and she was, she died on her 11th birthday. I was 13. So like those formative years, it was pretty rough. Those formative years led me to a point where I was afraid half the time. So by the time I was 25, I had experienced college, more opportunity to, I guess, not be afraid. So I was living kind of on the edge, if you will, a little bit. I wasn't taking life very seriously. If I were to give my 25-year-old self some advice, I would probably say, just slow down and take a breath and look around. I don't think I did that. And, and I would probably tell myself that... You know, things are always going to work out. And my, I don't use the word things are going to be okay because after those two traumatic events, nothing was ever okay. And my mother told me at the time they, things would be okay and they never are. What I say is things will always work out. And that's what I would, things will always work out. And I probably would say you're a lot stronger than you think you are is what I would tell myself. Yeah. Great. So, yeah, 25 was not, was I didn't try to start getting serious about life until about 29 when Tom and I got married and started having kids. 
It sounds like you may have passed that on to your son, who is surfing and snowboarding yes, and fighting yes. fires. <laughs> Matthew has graduated college and decided that he wants to fight fires in the summertime and surf and snowboard the other nine months of the year, or eight months of the year. So more power to him. Absolutely. Yeah. That's some yeah. incredible freedom right there. Yeah. I hope he keeps yeah. it going. He's my hero. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't want him to keep it going. Like he might be that... 40-year-old guy that's sitting around the kids surfing and snowboarding. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that'll be him. Who knows? All right. So what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? You guys are going to laugh about this. When I read this question and when you sent these to me, the first thing I thought of, and this is silly, but it was very entrepreneurial and it was quite successful. When I was probably about nine or 10 years old, maybe about eight or nine, my sister, who was three years younger than me, and I would collect rocks out of the yards. Our yard, you know, just like, not pea gravel, but the bigger, just rock, decorative rocks, right? About this size. And we would shine them up, polish them up, and sell them to the neighbors. We'd go door to door and sell them to the neighbors <laughs> for a nickel or that a dime. Awesome. Or, yeah. And one time we picked up rocks from a neighbor's yard and sold them back to him. So we thought that, <laughs> that was pretty good. Right, that, so I, you know, in that pivotal point in my life, I don't think I was born an entrepreneur because I didn't like the risk taking, right? I believe I've developed into one through time and with working with Tom with the business and he's not afraid of risks and he's not afraid to just go all in and, and see what happens and, and do that. And that's rubbed off on me a bit, which has been fun. So my career and at NARPM through for the last 10, 15 years has been really entrepreneurial for me, building a, a speaking career outside of what I do day to day in the property management is entrepreneurial for me. I think I've grown into an entrepreneurial mindset, but I wasn't born that way. So yeah. But oh, if you have a rock, to, if you want to buy a rock, I can sell you one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got some in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Well, just be careful if any kids come to your door trying to sell them to you. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, that's, that's great that you touch yeah. on like how well you guys meld together. I mean, when you, whenever you partner in real estate, like trying to find someone else that really can complement you and, and do the things that you aren't able to do, it really sounds like you and Tom have like, been able to kind of split it up and like really like work towards the same goal together while also, you know, rowing different sides of the boat. <laughs> we do. We do. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say we get along all the time because we yeah. don't, we don't always see eye to eye. We have sometimes, you know, like I said about the relationships and the business part of it, they don't always blend it's, and sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. And he's really good at taking care of the company and making sure as a whole, the company is protected and I kind of take care of the people, right? And I don't mean to say that he's not involved in the relationships with the people and I'm not involved with the company part, but it's just like you said, AJ, a really good blend of our strengths and yeah. our skill sets, maximizing our skill sets. Yeah. And that's, that's what we see in partnerships a lot. Like Chris and I definitely split stuff up and do different things, but we complement each other very well. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. If there's a newer investor looking out there, like like you said, you were risk averse and like trying to find a partner that may be more risk taking and can complement mm -hmm. you well as a way to really right. kind of propel forward. Yeah. So, all right. Next question. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? My journey as a property manager? 
your journey through life and how you are okay. sitting here to having a podcast with us. <laughs> okay. So as I mentioned, I was risk averse and felt like I would kept waiting for the other shoe to fall. So finally at about age 40 something, I went skydiving. That shifted my journey incredibly <laughs> because I kept thinking, what if something happens? What if something happens? What if something happens up until that point? And then I finally thought, I can't live like this anymore. I'm going to do the scariest thing I can think of. I'm going to jump. At, well, that guy pushed me. The tandem guy. He pushed me out of that <laughs> I did not jump. No, uh, I don't want to go. <laughs> exactly. I turned to him and said, have you done this before? As we were sitting on the edge of the plane, right? So I went skydiving and I realized there isn't anything scarier on the ground than doing what I did. So that informal knowledge or, or just knowing I had to stop being afraid. And that's when I started taking more risks in my personal life, in my like developing my career at NARPM, getting out there and being a speaker. That was something I always thought was really scary, but I really enjoy it. Taking risks in my comp in the company by, you know, developing new systems and all that, all those things, just not staying in the status quo. It just shifted me out of staying in the status quo and in that comfort zone. So that to me, you know, I think of it almost as like just different segments, you know, having kids put me into a different area of a journey where I wish I would have had more patience. But when I ask the kids, what do they remember? Do you, they remember me yelling at them all the time? They say no. So that's good. <laughs> so just all those things, those were some of the pivotal and key points that really affected my journey to where I am today. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. The... So your your training was skydiving. That's that was that's part what. of it. Yeah. So my the school of hard knocks hit me up early on, and then I decided I was going to take some control after several years. But yeah. I can't say that we've heard that one yet. So okay. you were very unique. Okay. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So what was your Moby Dick of real estate? The property or the deal or the opportunity that got away. So I was talking to AJ before we started recording about this. And I think one of the things that Tom and I compliment each other on is he's the one that kind of looks and researches all the properties we purchase. And then he has me sign on the dotted line. I have implicit trust with him that he's handling our assets and our, our wealth as he can and does it the best that can be done. So I don't necessarily get involved with the purchases and the opportunities. I think one of the things that I regret not doing is buying Google stock. And that would be the one that got away. You know, you look, you look and you say, what if I would have done this? Or what if I would have bought that investment property? You know, there's always silver lining in those decisions that we make. You say, well, I didn't buy that, but I did. This happened as a result. There's always the, that next thing that, consequently happened or didn't happen or whatever. And I try not to dwell on that, but yeah, there's some stock. I wish, you know, Microsoft living in the Northwest, you know, who'd have known mm -hmm. Microsoft would be where it was is today or yeah. Google when nobody even knew what it was or Amazon, you know, even all those <laughs> buying those tech stocks. And we do have Tom bought for Matthew when he graduated from college, Tesla shares. And that oh. was, well, maybe it was, for a birthday or something, but yeah, so he's got a few shares of Tesla. So who knows? Maybe that'll be the one. Maybe that'll be our lottery ticket. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's more along the lines of the stock market for us. And I think, you know, our real estate investments have been timed well. And as I was mentioning to AJ earlier that we would tell people, if you wanted to buy a winning stock, don't buy what we're buying. And (laughs) (laughs) so our real estate purchases have been, we've been pretty fortunate in those investments. So, and as far as one that got away, I can't think of anything. Our company is doing a book review today on The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Wow. And, you know, he talks about a simple strategy to invest in the stock market where you are, are just more focused on consistently putting money into the stock market and then buying the total market fund. So you're not picking stocks, you're just focusing on what you do well, which is being a property manager or finding value add opportunities with properties. And yeah, I'm excited about the book club because I really want to start teaching our staff like, hey, here, you know, here's how AJ and I have gotten to the point where we've got an investment portfolio. And yes, we were, we were lucky. We had, you know, our dad was willing to give us a loan when we started. And so yeah. I was going to ask you how you guys got started. It was so it was your dad said, well, I have confidence in you to go do this. And so go make it yeah. happen. And he did put his money yeah. where his mouth was. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. And we saved a little bit of money too. And, but we, we basically started out doing the same thing you guys did, finding value add opportunities. Like we bought bank owned properties and yeah. our first one together in 2009, added a bathroom and yeah, like we, we added a master bathroom and then we bought that for a hundred and 21,000 and then after we added that bathroom and refinished the whole house at a price for 225 and that bathroom didn't cost out. you 125,000 oh no yeah it cost I, I, us I, like 20,000 at, so. at that time it was like 10 or 15 <laughs> yeah well and then you take that cash you earn from it and you get maybe two now you buy two properties and you do something similar yeah. there and then it just exponentially and so that was kind of like an income strategy for us. We were generating income there. It's not necessarily like, you know, renting out the property and having a cash flow. That's the investment strategy after we're done with that. But the right. value add is the side hustle. Right. And so we're really trying to organize, you know, how, how do you build up, you know, that nest egg so that you can buy that first property. And so right. it starts with saving. And, and investing and getting money into the stock market and letting it grow, finding that side hustle like you and Tom did. And, you know, then once you get to that, that point where you, you're able to buy and sell property, you can, I don't know if you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but yeah, yeah. he talks about the rat race. And once you're able to kind of like crawl yourself out of that rat race, then it's, you know, you, you get to look at opportunities and you have that, that freedom, which is, which is my big why, like, because when you're focused working 40 hours a week, you know, trying to improve your skills and do the best job that you can, all of those opportunities are flying by. They're all around you, but you know, you're not aware of them. You're, you're not focused on them. But then once you see one, just like you're saying, yeah. it's all blue cars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But you guys are doing that syndication thing, which I think is really a great addition to the market for people that, you know, want to just dip their toe into being an investor and don't want to take on 100% of the risk. 
So you take on 10% of the risk or you take on 20%, whatever you want to do, and then you can build your wealth that way. And then more risk equals more return. So you can participate in that syndication thing. I think those are brilliant. I know they've been around for a long time, but your guys seems to be working out pretty well. So that's great. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about them. That's one of our yearly goals is that we want to syndicate 70 units this year. And, you know, we're, yeah. we're in contract on a 21 unit property. So yeah, we just got into contract on yesterday or yesterday on that. And, well, and you know, one of the other things that just real quick, I know we probably got to wrap up, but one of the other reasons why we did the HUD foreclosures and this is reminding you of the syndication and why we do property management is it's not an industry or a field or a, a path that's easily taken. So there's less competition. And so when you look at when we were doing the HUD foreclosures, it was really difficult to weed through all the data to try to find the right house. And with the syndications, not a lot of people are doing them. It's a complicated way to set up an investment platform. It's not it simple. And and it, takes, it takes a lot of work. And we're lucky yeah. enough that we have like a vested network. And like we've yeah. built our way up to this, like for someone to just start in syndication, like right out of the bat, like yeah. that's a really tough thing. You like, you've got a partner, you got to give away a lot of stuff. Like Chris and I are sponsoring the own, our own deals ourselves. And like yeah. we have the property management piece, we have the brokerage piece, we have the construction piece. Like there's a lot of pieces that has taken us 10, 15 years to develop. Right. And not yeah. everybody's going to do it. No. Yeah. So your competition is reduced. And that's one of the reasons why, pro why we picked property management is, number one, we both really enjoyed it. And number two, a lot of people don't want to do it. It yeah. has this, you know, kind of aura about it that it's, it's really, really hard. And it can be really, really hard. But it can be really, really rewarding, too. And if you do it right, it's a lot of fun. And it's lucrative. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, so. I completely agree. I think that, you know, one of the best ways to start investing is to become a real estate professional. And I honestly believe that becoming a property manager is by far the best way because you're managing assets. You've got to figure out how to turn them over. So you're learning how to add value, right? but you're doing it for other people. So it's, it's like a free education. Right. Yeah. And you're building a network of professionals around you so that when you've got something you want to buy, you know, you know, who to talk to about what it's going to cost to rehab it. And, you know, you've got your vendors and you've got your lenders and yeah. Yeah. And there's so many people in NARPM who have already like earned that education. They yeah. know how to well, do it. I was so. going to, I was going to ask the question again, Kelly is like, what, what do you think it takes for like that person in NARPM that's been in property management for 10 years to like go out and buy that first investment property that they haven't done yet. Gosh, you know, I would think maybe just guts, just guts. pull the trigger, just jump well, it's right. Like, it's like the, like, do we need to take them, do we need to take them skydiving? Like what do I we know need? I was going to say, <laughs> so, you know, I think, Angie, I think it depends what, what is holding them back? Like yeah. there's so many great opportunities and what's holding you back from not doing it. So, you know, as some people just feel more secure with money in the bank, right? And maybe yep. they think that, that tomorrow I have a, a NARPM colleague who bought property in his area to build a house like three or four years ago. And he still hasn't built the house because he's waiting for the housing supply industry 
to take a dive and be less expensive. But in the meantime, he has still doesn't have his newly built house, right? So he's just, he knows that, that so what is, what's holding you back? I guess I would say is well, what's holding just, you back from that? Kelly, we need you to start pushing people out of the plane. <laughs> yeah, I thought about getting certified as a skydiver and then you hear about that one story about that one person in a million who didn't quite have a successful dive. So, yeah. Have you, have you done the indoor skydiving? I have not. Uh, I fly. No, I haven't. Actually, we're going to do it as a team for company outing. And then COVID came and we got shut down. So we were going to do that and act All the throwing. company parties. Ah. Yeah, and the axe throw. We were going to go axe throwing, and I really want to do that. Yeah. That would be fun. Well, Kelly, it's been wonderful. Really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. And, you know, I think it's been a great show. There's a lot of stuff in here about motivation and, you know, making that next step. So really appreciate it. Well, thank you, AJ and Chris. It's my pleasure. It's great to always great to see you, AJ and Chris. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Is there any any, any last parting words that you want to give our listeners? (laughs) Not that I can think. The only thing is just keep the faith that 2021 is going to be less traumatic, I guess. We learned a lot in 2020. It was difficult, but we learned a lot. And that was my silver lining. So hopefully we won't be as forced into it in 2021. Awesome. An auspicious start, though. Yes, true. We can talk about that offline. (laughs) That was pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.